All right, guys. Welcome back to Adventure Fit Radio. Today, we've got uh, a man by the name of Nick Fowler. Nicholas Fowler. So, so, um, so Nick, uh, Nick grew up in Argentina. Really interesting story. Grew up mm. in Argentina, um, became a, a professional climber, basically, and uh, moved to the States and was climbing in Yosemite National Park. He holds climbing records for El Capitan, one of the um, crazy, crazy climbs out in uh, Yosemite. He actually free climbed it um, a bunch of times with no ropes. He's out of control in that mm. regard. But he's also um, owner of Massive Athletics and also is uh, the head strength and conditioning coach for Brute Strength um, with our friend Mike Casu. So, um, yeah, heaps going on in this interview. I had a real good time talking to, uh, talking to the man himself. Mm. Tommy, what did, you, uh, what did you think? Yeah, I thought it was cool. I thought I found it amazing that he never got stressed about climbing without a bloody rope. Isn't that mental? That is insane. Yeah. How would you not get stressed? And the, remember when he said, well, I mean, you guys will find out surely, but he, he mentioned a part where he came very close to death up there. Yeah. Um, it was literally hanging on by a thread and he yeah. wasn't even worried about that. Yeah. My issue would be, okay, so I'm still alive and I've got fucking half a mountain to yeah. go, you know? Crazy. So, um, so heaps of good training stuff here, guys. Heaps of good, um, heaps of good, just a good conversation about, um, for sure. yeah, climbing and and uh, living abroad and lots of lots. He's a very, very uh, diverse kind of guy. Mm. And then also massive athletics and what they're doing there in terms of biohacking and and getting all the body right in terms of breathing and mindfulness and training and yeah, he's, nutrition. He's good. He knows it all. So it's um, good. So guys, this podcast is brought to you by True Pride. True Pride are a wealth creation service who work with ambitious individuals and families looking to worry less, take control and get ahead. Head to www.truepride.com.au forward slash ADVF. Book a call on the website. If you decide to go through with the guys, you'll get a joining fee of $297 waived. Me and Tommy are working with those guys. They're really good. Check them out. We're also brought to you by Carve. Carve are a company that specializes in anything digital from building apps, designing a logo, automating your business down to setting up your next event. Carve are where I get my assistance from, guys. I have three full-time assistants. We pay around $6 US an hour or $8 Australian. And uh, if you want to upscale your business or get more time in your life, trust me, you want to head to Carve, www.carve.ph forward slash ADVF. We're also brought to you by Adventure Fit Travel. Travel. Make sure, uh, head to our website, guys. Check out the trips we've got coming up. Check out all of our blogs. We've got all of our bloggers up and running again. And uh, check out all of our podcasts on there. And uh, oh, yeah, and use the code radio for 10% off if you book a holiday with Adventure Fit Travel. Here's the show. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one, no touching of the hair or face. And that's it. Yo. Discovery Roger, go for deploy. Where do we come from? Are we alone in the universe? What is the future of the human race? I'm with you if you want to live. I did. Some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, too rare to die. Alrighty, welcome back to Adventure Radio, guys. Here we are with uh, Nick Fowler today. Before um, before we throw to Nick, I've got Tommy on my left really? as usual. 
And uh, we're going to start off with a little tribute, Tommy's tribute, to the man, Nick Fowler. That goes a little something like this. (laughs) All right, straight into it. Nick Fowler, Nick Fowler, Nick Fowler, Nick Fowler, Nick Fowler, la 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 la. Massive, 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 massive. <laughs> Welcome aboard, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's the most basic. Are you for real? <laughs> yeah. Straight in. Jeez. All right, there you go. Yeah, what, a, what a well. What a well thought out. Uh, yeah. What a well thought out tribute that Believe one was. Or not the uh, the playing was an original by me, um, <laughs> and it says it's called Classical Nick. And I, you're like, yeah, I, I think I, I think I think I could take it somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Stuff. I love it. Good stuff. Hey, Nick, uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm honored. Honored to be able to chat with you guys for a little bit. Looking forward to it. Cool. So, um, why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about yourself? We um, we read that you you grew up in Argentina. Is that true? That is, yeah, yeah. I grew up in Argentina. My my mom's uh, side of the family is all Argentine, and uh, right. yeah, still have family down there, and cousins and aunts, and uh, kind of families scattered, kind of all around the world. But um, yeah, and my dad's from the states, but kind of grew up down there. Moved to um, the states, oh, maybe when I was like around eight years old. Uh, ended up in Miami, Florida, and so um, yeah, I went to school in the Northeast. Um, you know, about a little after that, drove out to the West coast, San Francisco to kind of go to school and, um, spent about 10 years out there. And then so far I've been about 10 years here in Salt Lake city. So it's been, it's been good. Been bouncing around a little bit and, um, but growing up, um, you know, visiting, going traveling to Argentina and, uh, you know, other relatives, um, like in Spain and, and, and around Europe was, was pretty memorable for sure. Yeah, cool. So, so you're Argentinian, born? Uh, I was actually technically I was born in, in Nicaragua, uh, but then, oh really? Like, yeah, but then um, I don't know, like three months, not even uh, after I was born and moved to Argentina. So, wow, really, Nicaragua? Yeah, that's so, cool. That's cool. So, whereabouts did you grow up in Argentina? Uh, we're in Buenos Aires. Yeah, yep. right, right there in the in the big city. Cool. I had. Um, had my finest culinary experience of my life in Argentina, in uh, in Buenos Aires. Had the the steak of all steaks. Was, yeah, what oh, um, the, what was it? I'm curious. Uh, it was a one kilogram um, butterfly cut. Um, one what kilogram I, yeah, of yeah. steak. Yeah, so it's like you think of like a novel, like a book, like a huge, huge, like an encyclopedia, like or, an Alice. <laughs> yeah, and if, if you think of uh, and you think of standing it up on its spine and yep. then cutting down the middle and it lays out in front of you. Um, yeah, it was one kilograms at um, one kilograms. <laughs> one kilograms. Okay. Um, yeah, obviously, the, that's the that's the, the Argentinian metric system. Over <laughs> yeah. <there>. Yes. Um, <laughs> but um, I can't remember the name of the uh, name of the steakhouse. But it was it was the world's 
they they say because um, I was I was there there with a buddy and um, we were hanging around with two English guys as well and we said all right I was there last night we wanted to go out for a good steak and I said look we're in we're in um we're in Argentina they claim to have the best steakhouses in the world uh, the best steak in the world we're they in Buenos do. Aires the capital yeah. yeah I said let's let's just load up let's mm. find the best steakhouse in Argentina see if we can get in and um and I can't remember the name of it right now but. You didn't. It was so popular. They opened two. There was two restaurants on opposite corners of the street. Mm. They were huge, and um, you just go there and line up and just hope to get a table. So, uh, wow. but it was the it was amazing. It was uh, one kilogram, and they brought out like twenty, thirty diff, diff, um, different dipping sauces all throughout the night. I love Buenos Series. It would have been a great place to grow up. So, did you travel much through South America and and um, Argentina itself as a kid, Nick? Or yeah, yeah, we did. Um, I definitely remember like growing up. Uh, my family and I always, yeah, we traveled around, kind of always went, yes, yeah, somewhere, right? So, um, you know, my mom uh, has a sister, a couple of brothers, and they they kind of moved to um, all over the place. So, um, had a had a um, one of her brothers, my uncle, in in Sao Paulo, and um, yep. before that in Belgium, and then uh, ones uh, right in London. So I have a bunch of family in London, and mm. um, yeah, getting away to like places like Spain and. Um, yeah, so it, it definitely, I, I grew up, um, kind of traveling the world a little bit, visiting family. And so that definitely, um, you know, we, we visit family these days. It's, you know, I think, um, you know, kind of, uh, grandparents have died and people have moved on, things have changed and I have kids now. And so it's, it's a little harder to travel, but, um, but when we do, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great to have family to be able to pop in, you know, especially in places like Argentina, right. Where it's just so oh, many yeah. things down there. So. Yeah, uh, abso- absolutely. Yeah, I would hey, say uh, I would say that the 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 steak and the people are, are what um, Argentina is known for. Too, too for great sure. Thing. So I saw uh, also Nick that you you've had a real background in um, in climbing. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how that all started? Yeah, um, it it definitely wasn't uh, until later in life that I got introduced to climbing. But basically. Uh, you know, driving, driving out to San Francisco is where I ended up, um, kind of pursuing school. And, and I remember driving through, uh, you know, cross country, remember driving through Yosemite Valley. And, and, um, that's the first time I had really been introduced to, to anything like that in my life. Yeah. And I remember looking up at, um, El Capitan, which is like, you know, 3,000, 3,200 vertical feet of like sheer granite and just this beautiful yeah. valley. And, and seeing, I remember vividly seeing people climb on that, you know, and I was, you know, I was 21 years old at the time and, and I just couldn't wrap my head around it. It, it really felt like I was looking at people, uh, walking on the moon or in space or something. It was just so, yeah. um, just absolutely amazing. And, and I think that at that point I decided, I was like, I am going to do that. And I was like, I am going to start to climb cause this is just, this is just awesome. Mm. And, um, yeah, and that kind of kicked off, um, you know, a, a, I don't know, pretty ambitious um, set of years where, uh, you know, I, I, I'd moved out there for school um, basically to, um, you know, get a degree in, in, in photography, which I did. And long story short, I, I spent a lot more time pursuing climbing than, than putting into my, my photography and just slowly over time. Uh, the two kind of offset where I, I ended up just, you know, kind of, that's what I did. I climbed guided, um, professional climber for, for many years. I ended up, um, 
moving to, to Yosemite and, and living in, in Yosemite, working for uh, Yosemite Search and Rescue there, and later on getting uh, becoming um, a firefighter and getting getting to work on the helicopter, uh, fire rescue helicopter there, becoming a firefighter. And, um, yeah, right. Yeah. And so – Let's see. What a place to work. Oh, do you ever was, get pissed off when people call it Yosemite? <laughs> Yosemite, yes. <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's, what? Um, it's, uh, I, it's, it was some of my best years for sure in, in a lot of respects. You know, I think there, were, uh, there was a huge period of time in my life where I didn't wake up by an alarm clock and literally just very no responsibilities, waking up and just asking myself, what am I going to do today, right? Being around um, – kind of the best of the best in, in terms of climbing. And, um, yeah. And, and I, um, you know, I was lucky enough to climb with some really, really good climbers and, uh, get mentored by, uh, some fantastic climbers and, um, you know, ended up, um, you know, putting up, um, you know, speed records and, uh, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple, um, I think a couple still stand, but, um, that's a climbing, climbing in Yosemite or, yeah, in Yosemite. Uh, and then, you know, that led to kind of, you know, I mean, I lived in Chamonix for, for nine months and, um, you know, traveled around Himalayas, Baffin Island. Um, kind of yeah, so it, it kind of, it was, it was, yeah, it was the catalyst for a huge change and a new chapter in my life. And mm. um, yeah, it's, it, it's pretty cool. And so, um, yeah, I spent, I spent those years, um, well, it, it, so I had dedicated, right. I'd seen El Cap and I was like, I'm, I want to do that. And so for six months I just set out to learn how to climb. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was about six months later, um, that I found myself, uh, with, with two of my friends, uh, maybe nine months that climbing El Cap. And, um, we took, I think it was like six days, seven days. It was just horrendous, right? It was literally, um, I, I was referred to it, and during the time it was like I always used to say, "This is this is like building a pyramid," because it's just slow, methodical uh, work. Yeah. So imagine, mm. you know, it usually takes anywhere from three to five days for somebody to climb El Cap, and so it That's requires, so yeah, it requires you to bring water. It's like vertical camping, right? Yeah, and um, and so we, you know, got on it, super excited, started climbing, and and. Um, a couple things happened on on that climb that I think really changed uh, the way I, I wanted to climb and I approached climbing. So I think it was day two that we had two two guys uh, with nothing but a little water bottle just blaze by us uh, climbing El Cap in a day. And, oh, jeez. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> that's embarrassing. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, what are we doing wrong? Like, I was like, hey, like, and yeah. this is this moment of awe. And it was similar to like me looking up at, El Cap and seeing these people who climb and I looked at these two like what like I don't understand this like how can this be <laughs> yeah. and uh and you know so they they blow by us they say hello whatever and then the next day um you know the route we took kind of connected a, a couple different parts of El Cap and the climb but uh these guys that you know I looked down and these two climbers are coming up again they were the same two folks <laughs> really do <laughs> Yeah, completely. And then, and then that's that's when I really got kind of pissed off, and I was like, "What the hell?" Started kicking rocks off at these yeah. guys. So you basically rocked up to a Formula One race uh, in, in a bicycle. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and if it wasn't uh, uh, enough, yeah. two days in a row, the third day, these same guys blow by us again. 
<laughs> and um, yeah, and, and and I found out uh, the unfortunately the late Brian McRae was one of them, and Ammon McNeely, and they were trying to do I think five El Caps in the, in five days um, yeah. at the time. But, um, yeah. So, so what is the record? What is the record for uh, for climbing? How how quickly can you climb El Capitan? Like, what's the current record? Uh, I think on the nose it's something like an hour twenty nine oh, or out, thirty minutes or something like that. I don't I don't know what the current time is, um, but it kind of depends on the route. So like, there's different routes of different difficulty up, you mm, know, yep. up. And so um, some some uh, records are like ten hours. Some records are like twenty two hours. Some are you know an hour gotcha. and a half. So it depends yeah. on yeah. So um, yeah. So I I mean that's what um, so seeing those guys and topping out, I was like, you know what? I am never spending a night on this thing again. It was like <laughs> the most miserable six days of my life, right? It was, I'm not the best. Fuck it. <laughs> uh, type three fun all the way, right? So, um, you know, type type one fun is like where you're having fun in the moment. Uh, yeah. Type two fun is, is where, uh, you know, you kind of have fun. Uh, like you kind of realize you're having fun af- right after the moment, and then like type three fun is like it's really only <laughs> years later that you yeah. <laughs> moments. That <laughs> was like uh, was like my experience with skydiving, uh, not skydiving, uh, bungee jumping for the first time. I did uh, the world's world's biggest bungee, and I said um, I think that might be type four fun yeah. because I'm still waiting to I'm yeah. still waiting to get the, yeah. the joy from that. I said to my mate afterwards, he goes, "How was it?" I said, "That was fucked." Yeah, that was that was not fun at all. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want my money back. <laughs> oh, that is but, funny. Um, Where was that? Uh, that was in South Africa, Blaukrens Bridge on the. It's on halfway from um, Cape Town to Jeffreys Bay on the Garden Route. So Very cool. it's um, I believe it's 265 meters of Free fall, or of not free fall because you've got the pulley of the mm. of the um, of the cord, but the pull of the cord. But 265 meters, so you and then you you're over the top about another 265 meters, I would say, until the bottom of the gorge. And um, so you Huge. bounce, you bounce 265 meters, you bounce back up, and then you you do um, 200 meters, and you bounce, which is like the fifth biggest bungee in the world. Then you bounce your second, third bounces. <laughs> 170 meters, which is oh. like eighth ranked, and then you're just bouncing around there yeah. for 10 minutes, and uh, it was good. Like I'm glad I did it. It's one of the things that when you um, when you're backpacking in South Africa, you just have to do because yeah. there's two there's two bookends, not bookends, but like two destinations: Jeffreys Bay and Cape Town. And you, if you're driving through Blackens Bridge, you're pretty much going to one of those two. Mm. So everybody, when you get to Cape Town or you get to Jeffreys Bay and you've just got into a hostel, everyone will ask you, "Oh, did you do the bungee? Did you do the bungee?" And uh, so <laughs> we figured out. Fun. <laughs> this is not fun. <laughs> we figured out. We figured out. That's exactly what it sounded like. Yeah. We figured out. Um, we figured out pretty pretty quickly that we had to. We had to do it and just bite the bullet. And then, um, yeah, it was good though. But what's your? So what about? Um, what's your greatest like climbing achievement, Nick, that you've had? Um, well, I, I guess there's different versions of it, but um, there's a couple that stand out. One, so um, so I'm I'm pretty sure um just because there's been nothing written about it but i'm the the first and only person to on-site solo an el cap route in a day and so what that kind of means is is climbing um an el cap route by myself not having climbed it before in less than 24 hours shit Um, wow yeah and so um i did most of it ropeless um (sighs) without a rope uh and then just maybe like a total of maybe 300 meters with a rope 
uh, maybe 350. Ropeless. So. so when you say ropeless, <laughs> as in like, if you made one false move, you'd let me on. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's um, insane. Oh. Yeah. And a lot of it was, uh, you know, there's different types of climbing. There's aid climbing, which you, you're kind of pulling on gear that you put into the rock and and then there's free climbing where you're just mm. climbing the rock itself. And El Cap oh. is a lot of aid climbing where you're putting a piton in, you're putting a, a piece of gear in, uh, you know, pulling on something to kind of sure. get yourself up the rock. And so, um, yeah, so that, that, um, that was pretty, you know, that, that was definitely stood out in my mind. I, I had a goal of trying to do two in one day by myself. Um, but I, I oh, kind of cut that short. I, I did, one route, uh, Zodiac, which is a neighboring route in like 10 hours. And then, um, came down and tried to, um, uh, go up uh, tangerine trip and, um, ended up taking a big fall. And, you know, I just kind of 14 hours into it, I was just beat and decided to call it. But, um, yeah. And then there's, um, I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, the most fun I've ever had on, on a climb in, in Yosemite is probably, like lurking fear with uh, Yuji Hirayama, who fantastic climber. Um, I forget that we're all old now, but um, he is <laughs> like a, just an awesome, genuine-hearted, sincere guy, and who I learned a lot from. And um, you know, we climbed um, lurking fear in three hours and four minutes uh, together. Okay. So okay. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty. Uh, you know, I think that was, was definitely a moment that, that I remember, but then, you know, I don't know, like living out in, in Chamonix, uh, just climbed so much cool stuff out there and, mm. um, you know, trips to Himalayas and Baton- Chamonix, France, France, right? French yeah. Alps. Yeah, yes. French Alps. Yeah. Right there at the kind of the Italian, <clears throat> um, Switzerland, uh, French. Yeah. Yeah. I had a mate that was, uh, that was living out there last year. He's a trail runner. He's, um, he does, uh, it's just what he does. You know, mm. we, we, you know, lift weights or, you know, do whatever we do. He's a trail runner day to day just, and he now travels the world doing, um, doing different runs and he's got, um, sponsored by a bunch of different countries, uh, companies. Sorry. And yeah, he was out in Chamonix and would just put up photos of running these epic trails along mm. these, um, and all you could see in the background was these snow-capped peaks and, and oh. all these epic, like tree-line ridges, and it was, um, oh, it was sick. I've never been there, but it looks so good. But um, how awesome is yeah. that? That's great. Yeah, it was great. Hey, I, what's, I, I what about? It was French once, actually. What's that? I don't make. It was French once. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool story, yeah. man. Just want to get something in there. Just I, I get something in there, Tommy. Just to click. Yeah, I felt like I've been out of it for a second. Yeah. I got a, um, but hey, my, my alarm about, went off. What about when um when you're free climbing? How do you like? How did you start free climbing, Nick? And like, how do you get your head around that? You know, how do you stay calm and how do you how do you trust yourself? I don't. That's that's watching people free climb. To me. Just I that's the one thing like climbing El Capitan. I'm like, wow, that must be pretty hard, and it takes a lot of skill. When I see people free climbing oh, stuff like another, that, yeah. I I don't I can't comprehend it in my head. I can't get my head around like how difficult that must be. But it doesn't seem that difficult to people that are doing it. You see people that are climbing up these rock faces, and they just mm. look like little spider monkeys just mm. scampering their way up there. Like, how do you start learning to free climb? How do you trust yourself? How do you get over the mental aspects? You know, talk, talk yeah. about that for a little bit. Yeah, that's an interesting. I've actually been trying to uh, come up with answers to that question because I I'm not sure if um, uh, 
you know, my experience getting into climbing was very, um, I don't know, it felt very naive and I just had no idea what should be done or shouldn't be done or like the way. So imagine like here I am coming from, you know, uh, Florida, right? Flat, never really seen any big mountains in my life, driving to Yosemite, see some people climbing and I'm like, I want to do that. And so for me, there was no preconceived ideas of what you should do and what you shouldn't do and what people do and what can be accomplished. And I think that that was a big part of um, kind of how I ended up where I was. Because if I think I would have been brought up, uh, you know, seeing people and hearing and understanding, oh, this is what you do. And I think that's kind of, uh, we get caught up in that in our lives, right? Like with limitations and our limitations are imposed by our perspectives on what is possible and what people are doing. Um, and so like a, a good example is, you know, before climbing El Cap, I went and climbed, um, Fairview dome, which is like a thousand feet of, you know, fairly moderate climbing with a, with a buddy of mine, uh, somebody I knew. And we, we started out and, you know, this thing takes a half a day to climb. Like it's pretty reasonable. Um, it's, one of the 50 classic climbs of North America, I think. And it's just a classic climb, right? But we ended mm -hmm. up um, not making it to the top before the sun went down. And so we were like 500 feet from the top and the sun goes down and neither one of us had, had headlamps. So we we're kind of screwed, you know, we we're like, okay, well, we're going to spend the night on this ledge and we can cuddle and the decision of like, okay, who's going to be the big spoon and who's going to be the little spoon, <laughs> right? And, um, You've always and, got to get a little spoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you say, little spoon? <laughs> little spoon. It's, 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 it's safer. Spoon. safer. Yeah, it's very safe. That's <laughs> um, Yeah, and so, you know, I, I walked away from that that experience, you know, like sun came up, we, we went to the top, and, and the butt, you know, my the, my climbing partner at the time thought it was a failure, right? He thought that this was the worst thing that ever happened. He failed, like this is too ambitious, like really not ready for that. And I woke up thinking, this is amazing. <laughs> like you can just go and if you run out of time, you just sleep where you're at and then sun comes up and you just keep going again. Like this is amazing, right? <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. like um, a lot of um, like mindset is in perspective and, mm, and yeah, for sure. whether like, something's a failure or a success really molds who we are. And I think um, like I was pretty – and that's why I say I was pretty naive coming into climbing because, um, you know – my decision to get going faster and climb El Cap in the day was this idea of like, well, I'm just going to get rid of the rope because the rope slows you down. Right. And, <sighs> and, and most people would be like, well, that's insane. Like why would you do that? Right. And, um, and so in my early years, I, I just kind of, um, got into this flow and I mean, it was, it was pretty, um, remarkable, I think. And I was really lucky uh, maybe just to have the, the, the people in my life that I had and the opportunities that I had. Um, but it, it never seemed, it, I never seemed scared and I was never worried or I never thought I couldn't do something. And that's a pretty powerful thing. And, you know, mm -hmm. in, in 06, 2006, I stopped climbing completely because of some close calls, um, a couple times just almost dying and just shit. <laughs> getting burnt out and a couple different things. Right. So in, in 2006, I pretty much just shut almost my dying. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> almost that? dying. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, just liked how you're, you're like, Oh yeah. A couple of close calls. Like 
just uh, just almost dying, and uh, and then uh, yeah, then we just like it was just almost dying again next day. And- mentioned yeah. In, yeah. in in passing, yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Um, and then I pretty much stopped climbing um, overnight. Um, wow. And so the past, uh, and you know, I have daughters, and we'd go occasionally, like once a year, just to a local crag or something, but nothing serious. And about a year and a half ago, I I, I recommitted to climbing, maybe two years ago. Um, and it was, it was with this idea of like self-exploration, wondering, will I have the mindset that I used to have? Right. Um, can I get that back? How do you train the mind? Um, can you mold it? Um, things like that, right. Physically, I, I'm, I was fairly confident that, you know, I could get physically fit enough to yeah. do I used to do, but, um, you know, how do you, you know, yeah. How do you, how do you work on mental resiliency and mindset? And that's kind of mm. what I've been looking at over the past couple of years. And I'll tell you, it's hard because I, I'm, I'm scared now and I like, I don't want to, yeah, you got, you got, you got more people relying on you and more to, more to lose in your life, mm. I suppose. Yeah. It's all right when it's just you. Totally. Well, what I find really interesting about free climbing is that, um, I love all that stuff about sort of mental resilience, mental strength and, you know, trying to push through the fear and get yourself into more uncomfortable situations to, to grow as a person. But um, the, I'd say there's a difference between having a fear of, of something or rather and then having a fear of something that which is genuinely dangerous and could honestly kill you. Like how did you – what was the mental battle like when, you, when you're doing all that stuff without rope and, and how drained were you mentally by the end of it? Um, I wasn't. I was, I was energized. Um, and it, and it never, yeah. And that's the thing is like, it never, I was never scared. I mean, there are some, Mm. there's some circumstances that, um, uh, that became scary. Yeah. Like, and that were legitimate. Um, you know, um, there was one instance with, uh, Yuji Hirayama, we're, we're kind of doing a a second ascent of, of this thing in Yosemite and long story short, I'm, I'm, you know, Yuji's leading and, and I'm following and I kind of pendulum out along these roofs and the roof edge was really, really sharp. Um, and so as I swung out, it cut the rope that I was on. Oh, and, um, it was so difficult that I was jumaring. So I was like climbing the rope to follow, um, Yuji. So I wasn't climbing the rock cause it was too difficult for me to climb. Uh, you just, right. you can carry, carry anything. So, so long story short, like the, the rope is comprised of a, of, of a sheath, um, that covers, um, hundreds, eh, I don't know how many, but let's just say a hundred core threads, like little, uh, strands of, you know, mm-hmm. rope. And so when it cut, when the roof cut the sheath, um, it pretty much, my weight pulled everything apart. And I remember sitting there and counting eight core threads that Whoa. were left. <laughs> um, and you know, 2000 feet above, um, the valley Far floor. Out. And, um, I had the Jumar over the core threads onto the main rope where above it was cut. And, and, um, you know, I think it was like 1500 feet, uh, took us maybe four hours. And then the remaining like 400 feet took us like eight hours because I literally like fried. And that was one instance where, where, um, you know, I felt, um, I've never been shell shocked, but I just imagine like, you know, that, that mental stress, but, I mean, other than circumstances like that, like I never, I never was scared. Like when I climbed El Cap ropeless solo, like I was, 
I loved it. I, I was, I mean, I, I felt, um, you know, it, it, to me, it's almost meditative. Um, yeah. and so, um, yeah, so I, I don't, I didn't have any like tricks. I didn't have any like, oh, this is what I'm going to work on for my mental mindset. It was just there. Mm, um, you just had it. Yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Lots yeah. Of I think like a huge fear of mine would be having that, you know, literally hanging on by a thread. And then you sort of look up and you're like, geez, I've, I've done a third of this, man. <laughs> looking forward to uh, having a panic attack here. <laughs> yeah. Um, God. Yeah, awesome. That's so sick. It's mm. such a such a good story to be able to tell. Mm. Even like, you know, your kids would never really know that mm. about you too much until, you know, when they grow up, you can say like, hey, this is what I actually used to do before you guys were around. I just climbed that. Yeah, yeah. And then you came along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, all right, let's move into into more of the more of the current um, Nick Fowler. So, what made you get into fitness, Nick? Were you always into fitness? I mean, you were, you must have been with your climbing, but what got you into um, the fitness that you're into now? Yeah, so it was it was during my time in uh, in Chamonix when I was when I was living there, and I got introduced to Mark Twight, um, and he he had some resources that. Um, he kind of kicked my way, like lactate training, lactate threshold training. And, um, you know, there was a couple mm-hmm. books out at the time, like, uh, you know, climbing light and fast alpinism. And so I was always intrigued about how to go light and fast. And I was at the time I had always focused on equipment systems, like, you know, tricks of the trade and, and never really looked at the physical nature of things. Um, until, I kind of got introduced to Mark Twight and it's kind of some of these resources and I started reading about it and I started becoming more and more intrigued. Um, and I think it was an interesting time cause I, I was at the end of my climbing career and I was kind of getting, I was kind of burnt out. Um, and part of it was just that I didn't like, it was really tiresome to try to think of the next biggest, greatest, best thing to do. Yep. Um, and then the close calls, like, kind of exposed my mortality a little bit. And so like the introduction and of kind of intelligent training for lack of a better term, I found really interesting. Um, and so, yeah, I just started becoming like a, a guinea pig of my, you know, of my own and, you know, putting a heart rate on and um, checking my pulse in the morning and doing kind of like the old school biofeedback stuff. When I woke up, mm-hmm. used to, um, you know, started running back then and really trying to focus around um, understanding human physiology and how to stress it and make specific changes. So, so what were some of the things that you would do in the morning when you would wake up to check your, um, the biofeedback things that you just mentioned? What would you do? I, w- I would wake up and um, uh, I, would, I, would take ten, I would give myself 10 breaths and then I would take my pulse and I would write that number in a book. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, 53, 52, 51. And that, those were indicators of how rested I was. And it was the first mm. time me looking at like, okay, am I ready to climb today? Because it was very ad hoc before. It was just like, oh, I'm going to yeah. go today. And uh, when bad weather comes in, that's when you rest. And so taking a different approach. And so just starting to learn about, you know, the stresses on my body, how much I could take before I needed a rest, things like that. I started to... Um, stretch a little bit more. Um, and it was, I mean, I look back and I kind of, kind of laugh cause it's, you know, the, I don't know, straddle toe touches and the, you know, 
the old school <laughs> stuff, right? Uh, there wasn't any PNF stretching or any kind of, uh, but you know, it was, it was, uh, there was intent behind it. Uh, and yeah. then I dedicated like once a week to going and, um, working on, uh, threshold training, uh, using a heart rate monitor, uh, and just based off my max heart rate and some zones and, uh, just kind of old school stuff like that. Um, nice. I remember, um, starting to take cold contrast showers. Mm. Uh, so I'd come back from a, a like big day of climbing and I'd take a cold shower, uh, just for recovery base. So that was like the start of it. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. So, all right. So, so fast forward to, to now. So let's bridge the gap. So you have um, massive ath- athletics now. Um, yes. so, so you started out obviously taking a more scientific approach to your body for your climbing. I suppose at a certain point, everybody starts to mature and, and that's probably, you know, you're probably gung-ho as a kid, started getting into fitness and, uh, and really working on your body and your, and your strength there. And then how did you get to where you are now with, um, running your, your own gym and coaching lots of people? And how did that, like, where did the, um, had bridge that gap? Yeah. So, um, it was, gosh, it was in 2006 that I was introduced to CrossFit as well. And, um, I remember a, a friend calling me up and, and saying, Hey, you got to go, you know, check this CrossFit thing out. And there was really nothing at the time locally here in Salt Lake. And, you know, and so checked out the online thing and, you know, everyone's got that, you know, first experience with the CrossFit story. And it kind of, it kind of caught my attention. And so that was, um, you know, that was really the catapult into, um, I don't know, uh, the next chapter where for the past 10 years, um, I've seen, you know, I've seen CrossFit grow. I've seen the sport grow. Mm -hmm. I've been able to take, um, my experiences from CrossFit and, and apply them to individuals and small groups. And so I've never really, um, you know, all my, my exposure to CrossFit, I've never, uh, participated that much in group fitness. Um, I just have, right. And so, um, you know, reading books on like starting strength and taking seminars with like the old, uh, Ripito seminar and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, CrossFit endurance seminar and, uh, going and, you know, reading about Poliquin and, um, you know, super training and just kind of just absorbing as much as I could. And then getting introduced, um, you know, so then apply, being able to read, apply it to myself and kind of just whoever's willing to be my guinea pig back then, right? I'd have a group of friends and, uh, you know, every every winter we would get together and train. And, uh, you know, at the time we I kind of built programs and everyone was kind of doing the same thing. And, and what I slowly started to realize is that, wow, like, okay, I'm getting this effect and I feel this way after – a five by five back squat and this person mm-hmm. over here feels very different and, and just starting to realize like, okay, well, why isn't this person getting the same out of the exact same thing we're doing? Right. And that mm-hmm. kind of led to this idea of like dose response training and how, um, it's what we do is all, and what happens is all predicated on the type of stress we perceive out of it. And so, um, yeah, long story short, kind of 
got introduced to some some mentors and uh, Max Elhaj. Uh, it was huge, huge uh, impact in my life. Um, yeah, yep. I think it was um, 2000. Oh gosh, 2010, 2000. I mean, it was 2010, 2011. Uh, I don't. The years blend, but somewhere in there, I got introduced to Max and sat down and kind of, you know, I wanted to learn, and I was like, "Hey, this is what I'm doing," and it just started this relationship that carried on for for quite some time. Um, I still consider him a friend, and so he, um, you know, he really mentored me in in terms of being able to look at things a certain way. Uh, and you know, we, I was a coach for training think tank for, for a while. And you know, mm. when Max lived in Utah here, we, we were, uh, trying to collaborate on a, on a, like a local project, a gym, we we're trying to implement, uh, individual training at this, at this one gym. And, um, yeah. And so all along the times, you know, I, I, I was, um, wildland firefighter for, you know, 15 years. Uh, so all that was, you know, that overlapped and overlaid and everything I'm talking about. And, um, and so I, I kind of got tired of disappearing all summer. And yep. so, you know, I, I kind of left, uh, the force service in a way kind of took early retirement or whatever. Uh, I was a captain of a, of a helicopter crew, helitac crew. And, um, I think my daughter's was the big catalyst. And I remember one winter, just, um, we rented an RV and we, we kind of drove, you know, a big road trip for two weeks and, and I just, you know, something clicked and I'm like, I just don't want to go back and, uh, you know, give up my years with my daughters, um, things like that. And, and that's when, uh, you know, I had been training people up until that point. And so it's like, all right, well, let's, you know, talk kind of my wife and I had long conversations and, um, and then Annie and I were just like, okay, let's do this. And that's when kind of Massive Athletics was, was born about four and a half years ago or so. Right. Uh, and cool. so, yeah, and, and it's, been, it's been an adventure ever since. I'll tell you, being a, a small business owner is, uh, is not – I don't know what I expected. <laughs> it's uh, it's not, not what you I've could, been experiencing. You, you kind of got to be crazy to be a, a, a small business owner. I was at um, – I have a business coach and um, once yearly, I've only been with him for six months, but once yearly they put on a gala dinner for all their clients and stuff and you sit down and um, you know, you meet a bunch of people and they had a couple of little games, you go and find someone in the room you don't know and you share some experiences, whatever. And the lingering, um, lingering kind of thought was everyone was kind of talking about their business and where they've come from and the stresses they've had and everyone was looking at each other and they were kind of thinking, what do we even? What do we do yeah, this for? Like, yeah. are we are we crazy? That's it's uh, it's definitely a lot more work than people people think. So, what is what is massive? Uh, what is massive now in terms of like, what are your members? What are your offers? And then like, we can get into some more coaching stuff. But like, so people know, massive athletics. What is massive athletics? Yeah, massive athletics um, is a gym here in Salt Lake, and it houses uh, a collection of coaches, and so. The coaches um, basically um, coach individuals. Our, our focus is in coaching individuals. And the belief is, is that this um, personal relationship with a coach is what uh, fosters long-term athletic development. Um, so not only is it the personal program, 
that's derived from uh, like assessment and testing and figuring out structural imbalances, range of motion imbalances, right? Uh, you know, work capacity testing relative to the sport and yourself as an individual, but it's also the other 23 hours in, in your life. And so mm. how are you sleeping? How are you eating? What are your stresses in your life? Like, uh, what are some, like, how's your endocrine health, right? Like, um, do you have gut issues that's like blunting melatonin release and that's why you can't sleep or you just, uh, you know, need, you know, sleep hygiene implemented. And, and those are just a couple of examples of, of kind of our holistic approach to athletic development or athlete development. And so essentially, um, you know, you get a coach and, and your coach is your, your, your guide to fitness. They're the author of your long-term plan. And, um, we coach people remotely, um, kind of all over the world. Yep. And, um, you know, we have some people here on site and then we have people who kind of, we just had a camp, an athlete camp is four day camp. It's our kind of one, one big camp, uh, that we host a year. Uh, it's awesome. Um, and people fly in from, from all over and, um, you know, we work on everything from mental resiliency mindset to recovery, to training to, you know, we, I mean, we had a sports doc come in and do FRC movement stuff. Uh, we had some, uh, breathing like par activating parasympathetic systems. We had a swim coach that, um, even though it was technique for the swimming, it was more about, uh, learning to breathe and breathing efficiencies that translate into other things in our life. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of massive, uh, wow. massive athletics. So it's, it's pretty cool. Mm, that's amazing. That's what do, what do you find that um, the overall um, limiting factor to people's sort of, you know, increasing performance is? Like you mentioned before that um, one of the things you look at is the stresses in people's life, which is kind of like, you know, it's it's sort of intangible in comparison to, to looking at someone's range of motion or this and that. How, how, how important is that sort of stuff? Oh, it's huge. Um, I mean, just think about it. Our ability to get stronger, fitter, faster – is all predicated on our ability to recover and mm. training is a, is a stress on our body and mm. it stresses us. And the, the crazy thing about stress is that if it's real or it's perceived, it affects us physiologically very similarly, right? Mm. It starts to, sh you know, we react fight or flight in similar ways, re release of cortisol, uh, whatever else it might be. And so our ability to recover from that is directly correlated to our gains, right? So if we have, uh, I mean, just think about it. If you're sleeping an hour a night, you're not eating and you're going through a divorce and you're moving, uh, you chances are you're not going to get anything out of your training. Mm. You can't. And, and obviously there's a gray areas there. So, um, I think that looking at systemic health uh, and systemic stress, is, is huge. And it's really kind of low hanging fruit. Um, it's definitely hard to shift lifestyle and, um, life stressors, but I think it's hard to quantify, but it's not, um, I don't think it's that hard. I mean, I think some of, I mean, it's pretty basic, right? You get, you make sure you eat enough, you mm. get quality food and we can go into like all the details about macronutrients and their hormonal effects and all that. But, but if you just think about it, right, eat enough, eat good food, uh, make sure you sleep enough and take time to, to make sure you, you can kind of deal with mental, emotional, psychology, you know, psychological stress. All right, guys. So we're just going to have a quick break in the show to thank our sponsors. 
So firstly, thanks to, uh, thanks to True Pride. True Pride guys are a wealth creation service. So any level that you're in with your finances, True Pride are there to help you out. So for me and Tommy, we're at the, uh, the lower end at the moment. So we're trying to work out our we budget. Suck. And we, um, we suck. And then uh, <laughs> we're trying to... So in the budgeting tool, there's uh, Craig Ames and the guys at True Pride aim to get, uh, get a $150 weekly savings. That's $600 a month for the cost of $97 a month. So it's awesome. Once you uh, once you have some money in the bank, you want to invest, then they can help you invest in m- many numeral different uh, in numeral different ways and uh, help you just uh, get ahead in life, really. And we've been having a good time working with the guys, so you guys should check them out for sure. If you want to do so, head to www.truepride.com.au forward slash advf and uh, book a call. And then you will, if you decide to go ahead, you get the joining fee waived of two hundred ninety seven dollars. We are also brought to you by Carve. So Carve, guys, I've set up about five people with Carve in the last two months doing this. So a bunch of different, we've had a, a gym owner, um, a retail uh, friend of mine, we've had a, a tradesman, we've had, who else have we had? Uh, a protein supplier who's coming on to sponsor the show in the coming weeks. We've had a number of different guys. They've spoken to the guys over at Carve and figured out how it works for them and their business and uh, they've been able to start to work together and, uh, and help their, their businesses out. Really, guys, it's crazy to not try it. It's $6 an hour US, $8 an hour Australian and it literally got me all my time back in my life and, uh, and helped me just get things done. I get 120 hours a week done in adventure travel and then I just, uh, I just focus on the bigger things. So, head to www.carve.ph forward slash ADVF, get 10 hours free on any task and, uh, and here's the show. Back to the show. Do you, so do you think? Do you think? Um, do you think that's the biggest one that's that's missing out is the sleep, Nick? Because obviously people um, people try and look after their body a lot now. I think with their recovery and their uh, well, their their prehab and rehab stuff. Um, diet is obviously talked about a lot. Yeah. Obviously, you got to have your diet fads and stuff. And, yeah, yeah, you got to yeah. have your diet in line, or you know, a lot of your training is is obviously useless. But I feel like um, I feel like sleep is the one that's just kind of coming to the forefront of people's minds. You know, it's always been. Something that nobody, I think, as as a general populace, has really taken into account. You know, people don't. It's like people, people weren't getting the fundamentals right when yeah. they were the easiest thing to fix. Yeah, that's right. I think. Do you think that's the last kind of the last domino to fall with people is the sleep thing? I, I feel like that might be the case. Yeah, I definitely. It's it's probably one of them. I I would say lifestyle might be the last domino. Yeah. So yeah. What um, do you mean by lifestyle? Well. Like the drinking go, go, and go. And- yeah, like um, maybe drinking and partying, but I think that's that's maybe that's got to be that's, that's got to be good for you. <laughs> yeah, of course, it's fantastic, right? Uh, good times, anyways. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think uh, yeah, just the ability to create space in your life to kind of decompress. Mm. That's kind yes, of what gotcha. I mean by that, that that's that's hard to do because there's so many factors. But I agree, like Very sleep hard. is is starting to come around in people's minds. Um, and I always say, if you're an athlete, you need 10 hours of sleep. Um, mm. And so, you know, naps can kind of count in there. But um, there's an interesting, I uh, just uh, heard something on a podcast um, where uh, research that was done for a long period of time on, on young teenagers going through puberty. And there was like a subset that got less sleep than the other. And, and the ones that got less sleep uh, actually, um, are shorter than the ones who receive more sleep during puberty. And so, really, wow. yeah, 
so the idea of like anabolic hormones and sleep, I mean, it's, it's well known, but they're very, very connected. Right. And if you think about, here's the kicker, right. Is I look as a coach, I think about, um, if I were to, if I want to get you stronger, my best, uh, chance of doing that. I mean, other, aside from like an intelligent program and making sure that we're all addressing all the right priorities and all that stuff, like that's, that's a given, right? To be a good coach these days, like that's a given, but yep. the, the, I think the missing piece and, and really the million dollar kind of aha moment is as a coach, if I can get you anabolic, right. And hormonally really, really functioning at a high level, like bam, like we've got magic. Mm. If you think about mm-hmm. everything that goes into Definitely. that, um, sleep being huge, yeah. um, yeah, it's just kind of a no-brainer, right? So, what about here's a really specific one that uh, in no way relates to me. Wink, wink, <laughs> nudge, nudge. Um, how would you talk to someone about getting you know that that eight to ten hours sleep when they have to be up, sort of five a.m., five thirty a.m. before work, that sort of thing? Yeah, I think well, going to bed earlier, right? But <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I was, I'm going I was to bed like, too. Geez, there's a real simple answer to this question. I wonder if it was. A- yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, you, you know the things about, you know, turning off all the electricity in your house and not eating because I know that when you eat, cortisol can go up and melatonin can be suppressed and little things like that. But do you have any um, sort of really good little tips? Yeah, I think um, there's a bunch of different apps out there. It kind of depends on, on how you structure your life, but eliminating mm. blue light uh, in the evening hours is, is huge. Uh, mm. there's some apps out there that'll like take it away. The new iPhone, right. The update mm. that for you. And so eliminating blue light, um, once the sun is set, I think is huge. I think, um, you know, dark, cool rooms, you know, you think about, uh, earplugs just, uh, I don't know. I, I, maybe I take it for granted that, but I, I feel like people know that. I don't know. Yeah. You're not. Um, but yeah, just, I think just, Cool, dark room, uh, that kind of thing. I think there's some supplements out there. I think usually we're all pretty deficient in zinc, magnesium, um, even vitamin D, right? Vitamin D is more of like a hormone. But uh, I think zinc, magnesium in the evenings can have a huge, huge effect on quality mm. of sleep. Um, and so I think – and then and then nutrition. I th- so if we eat carb, there's this there's – this, uh, I don't know. I think there's this preconceived notion that, and you kind of mentioned it, right? Like you don't want to eat uh, before you go to bed, but I think sure. a, big, a big bolus of carbohydrates will actually drop cortisol and then your increased melatonin um, is more likely to happen. And so uh, I think carbohydrates uh, with dinner, like dense carbohydrates can, mm. can really set you up for some quality sleep. Uh, right. a, lot people, a lot of people don't think about that, but yeah. 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 Okay. And then simple things like coffee. I mean, if you're drinking oh, yeah. coffee at 5 p.m., uh, chances <laughs> are you're gonna have disrupted sleep. Or at least yeah, I'll that's be. right. Yeah. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, I just, I just take pure speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, um. Yeah. Cool. So, so what? Um. What excites you as a coach, Nick? What do you like? Um. What do you see when you get athletes come in? What do you like really digging into most? I think I like the process. I like the transformation of, of a person mm-hmm. and that, that isn't defined in like, Oh my gosh, like this person hit a PR. I'm so happy for him. Um, <laughs> I mean it, that that's awesome. 
but I think, uh, you know, mental, uh, growth. Is that what you're yeah, mental for? growth, like milestones, right? Like yeah, for yeah. sure, yep. Like changes in perspective, something mm. that is bigger than themselves. That's what really excites me. And so it yep. can be anybody, like someone coming to us for for health, right? Like uh, you know, I've I've coached somebody uh, for for many many years, and this person hasn't been able to walk down into her basement um, for uh, just to do simple things like laundry or, or whatever, wow. like. I don't know, a decade, right? Wow. And so, you know, coming in and, and working together and, and I remember very vividly this person uh, sharing this experience of her going into her basement and being able to do her own laundry for the first time in a decade. And that to me is, is I mean, I get goosebumps, right? Like that is huge and that's bigger yeah. than, than themselves. And so that can come in the form of something like that. It can come in the form of um, somebody being physically fit and having enough energy to play with their kids, or it could be, um, you know, a CrossFit athlete, uh, standing on, on the podium, right? I mean, I had a, a master's athlete that, uh, won the 55 year old, um, at, uh, at the CrossFit games, right? She dominated. Yeah. Uh, awesome. And even though that's cool, the, the, the growth that she experienced behind the scenes, which I'm probably, I feel pretty lucky to be privy to that and see that like that is, that is what's cool to me, right? Um, mm, yeah, yeah. So sure, that's absolutely that's what drives me. I think, and it's also the the impact it has on their life. I mean, there's there's no real difference between you know you know someone getting a bar muscle up or or being able to walk down the stairs unassisted. Well, I mean that's a terrible example because they're both clearly better than the other. But it's like if someone's you know been tr- been trying to get a bar muscle up for for years and years and years, and you you finally get them that little thing that just gets it for them, and you see the the smile on their face. It's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the same really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, so massive athletics are, um, I don't know what you call it. Like our, our, uh, motto or tagline or whatever is investing in human potential. And, mm. um, and that, that's, you know, that's what I feel like as coaches. And, um, I think anybody in the fitness industry, that's what we're kind of doing, right? Like, I'm personally investing myself into to somebody. When I decide to coach somebody, it's a it's a you know it's a big commitment on my part. You know, mm, for sure. Um, you know, energy, emotionally, like I'm super excited. So, so so what about um what about for yourself? Like, obviously, you're trying to trying to better everybody. How do you look at um how do you look at bettering yourself as a coach? In way of you talked about um reading your starting strengths and your your um. Your, all your different journals and articles and stuff. Like, what do you do day to day to get better as a coach, to get better at dealing with people? Um, a lot of coaches out there, I think, will probably listen to this. And, and me, personally, that was one of the things that I took pride in most when I was coaching was trying to find ways that I would always be getting better myself. What do you do to kind of make sure you're still progressing and you're still gaining knowledge? Yeah, what, what, what do you do, Nick? I, well, right, these days it's harder um, yeah. and I wish I, I could do more. Right. I think, um, I read books. Um, I'm reading a book right now called, uh, thanks for the feedback. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's actually kind of funny. Um, the science and art of like receiving feedback well. And, um, and, and that's important for me. Um, I think making sure that I, I 
surround myself and I talk to people that are smarter than myself. So I'm always kind of uh, reaching out to um, folks, having consults with them, kind of um, looking for opportunities to learn new things. Um, uh, yeah, I think, um, I mean, right now, I, I think it's those two things, right? I listen to a lot of books on tape, podcasts, um, mm-hmm. read some books, and then I search out personal relationships that I can kind of learn a lot from. And I think recently, and I say probably in the past year or so, I've been giving away uh, a lot more than I've been taking in, which um, is was a little concerning because I was wondering about my own uh, development, my own education, mm. and kind of like, uh, you know, was I going to stall out or stagnant? And, you know, is that service to my, my clients and my athletes and, you know, not pursuing you. Cause I think every coach needs to be pursuing actively to do everybody justice. They need to be, you know, a, a perpetual student. And so, but what I found is that by, by sharing, um, everything that I know, uh, it's taught me a lot. It's taught me a lot of context around, um, things that I know, but I didn't, um, I didn't, know how each of the pieces related to one another, which has given me a a greater perspective on, I mean, whether it's like, you know, designing out a 12 week cycle for somebody or, you know, understanding how I'm peaking somewhere for the games, or if it's more, um, in terms of like seeing how, you know, sleep is affecting this person's recovery. So it can be intricate or it can be pretty broad, but I think like I have a, I feel very fortunate. I have a big knowledge base. Mm. Uh, and the past year with giving it away and sharing it and, uh, educating my coaches and having these camps and has really given me an unexpected opportunity to kind of put all the pieces together and build some context for me, which is actually pretty cool. So yeah. for me, coaching is all about the, the old, you know, the compliment sandwich. Like, so just a nice haircut. Jeez, you, your squat was very average, but where'd you, where'd you get that haircut? You know? <laughs> squat, you know? That's all you have to do. And then they just, they fall in love with you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was good. All right. Um, what about, uh, so do you have, talking about um, like the resources and books that you read and stuff, have you got any good ones that, uh, me and Tommy were talking about last night um, about, um, a lot how, to of win, things. how to win? How to win friends and influence people by mm, Dale Carnegie. Great book. I'm not sure if you've read that book, but it's a. But for us, it's a book that I, I feel like I should read it every six months because it's just got some great tenets on how to be a more likable person, really, and but not trying to trick people in doing that, but obviously doing it by being a better person and caring about others around you and taking, compliment sandwiches. Yeah, compliment sandwiches. But <laughs> but it's just something that should always be at the forefront of your mind with dealing with people. Do you have any um, particular books and resources for yeah that has helped you along the way in dealing with people because it's such a difficult task, you know, learning different personality types and young and old, man, woman. Um, yeah, anything that you actually go to that you can we can send to readers, mm. um, readers ways. Yeah, I think, um, gosh, there's so many, right? I'm trying to like file of facts in my brain's going through all the books that I can't remember half of them about. I think the, the color code book is pretty cool. Um, that, uh, that in terms of dealing with people, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, I really like that one about the um, color code. I haven't heard that one before. Yeah, the color code. So basically it's a personality book. So there's a personality uh, test where it's like you're red, blue, yellow. Oh yes. I have heard about that. Yes. Yeah. And so 
Um, yeah, that, that one helped me in terms of being able to understand people's values and motivations and things like that. Mm. Um, so I thought, I thought that one's pretty interesting. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, outliers I thought was, uh, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's outliers was pretty, pretty good. Uh, that, that was pretty impactful. Um, just in talking about people's influences and how, uh, whatever's happening, what I took away, one of the things I took away is like, whatever's happening right now isn't about now, right? Mm. It's about the 10 years that led up to it, even mm. if it's not related. Um, and then the, uh, Braverman test, um, I've been using the Braverman test in my camp. So anybody who comes to my camp, they'll, I will email them a Braverman test and they'll take it and then they'll show up to the camp and we'll discuss it and their results. Uh, and you can just Google it. It's, you can take it yourself. You can only take it once in life. They say, I, I'm curious to see if it does change, but, mm. um, and it's just, uh, it, it kind of gives you some insight in t- terms of, uh, what type of, uh, person you are. I, I use it to, uh, determine what type of athlete they are. And it's an interesting test. It's like, you have, um, you know, if you're GABA dominant versus like dopamine dominant and, uh, it, there is some ties to, um, kind of what you, you know, hormones you secrete and stuff, but it basically sets it up, sets up some insight into saying this person is going to thrive in a consistent, um, knowing what's going on, low volume, steady state versus the person who needs new stimulus, uh, to make progress all the time. And, and there's right. some instances in that. Yeah, but it's pretty cool. Um, and my, my, what I'd love to do is be able to give that to every new athlete I, I take on, but I, I just, you know, I kind of haven't, um, the, uh, the book, I bought like 150 copies like a year ago of, uh, mastery. And, um, and that's, that's a book that I, I send out to, um, athletes of mine and, and it talks about this, I, becoming a perpetual student and the art of practice and our approaches to mastery and how different people kind of get there. Um, and so I thought that was, that's, I mean, I brought a, bought 150 of them, so I must like, (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was all right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, How, um, How accurate do you think that, that personality trait testing is the, so you mentioned before the, the, Braverman test? Yeah. Yeah. Like, because I, I, I feel strongly that mindsets can change with, you know, mindfulness and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And do you think um, with a test that you said, you know, you're only supposed to do sort of once in your life, that it uh, it could be accurate at, at some point in your life and then, you know, you can go through a lot of things. Like I know the, the brain goes through its last stages of development around the sort of 17 to 26 mark or 17 to 24 or whatever it is. You know, does it? How accurate do you think that can be for 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 your whole life? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting. I have so having kids and realizing, uh, no matter what we do as parents, they are kind of who they are. I mean, obviously, like we influence them everything, but uh, like my, I have an eight year old and a five year old, and and they couldn't be more different in terms of personality, <laughs> right? Mm. And uh, you know, everyone's probably heard this, right? And so, obviously, like we can influence them through, uh, you know, through nurture. But then there's the whole like nature thing. So, like, 
they have been born to a certain degree with what they have. They're so different and they come from the exact same parents and it's pretty pronounced. And I think that if I, if I pay attention to how they've grown up, their personalities at the core are kind of who they are and maybe they've just been um, uh, highlighted in different ways. And I, th- I look back to my own childhood and like the way I was and I'm – you know, I don't, I don't believe that we're that much different and I've had some pretty life changing events. Right. Um, Mm. and I still feel like, um, I'm at the essence of who I still am. I, you know, this explorer, this adventurer, this, this kid who just wants to experience new things. Um, and so in whatever I do, I kind of take that. Now the Braverman test is more about neurotransmitters. Uh, and it looks at dopamine, um, GABA, serotonin, and the release of those things. And so I don't, I don't know if relative to the Braverman test, if, um, if that changes much, but Mm. so I, I, yeah, I don't, I I believe kind of who we come into our, our adolescent age at the heart of who we are is kind of who we are, um, for the rest of our life, you know, mm, mm. it doesn't mean we're like, you know, you know, trapped in fate and we can't change things or anything. But I think the the essence of who we are, um, yeah, that's, that's my, I could be totally wrong, but that's kind of how I've seen it and experienced mm. it. What do you guys think? Do you guys think that that's, yeah, accurate? I think, um, I think, um, I think, yeah, I, I was sort of, um, discussing mentally with myself, you know, when you were talking about that, I think, um, the essence of who we are can maybe um, probably probably wouldn't change too much, but I think um, how we respond to things and how we're perceived can change. You know, I think um, with big life changing events, um, <clears throat> we can start to look at things differently, and um, especially with meditation and all that sort of stuff becoming more prominent, you can definitely start to um, not respond to things differently. But in terms of who we are, you know, at the core of ourselves, like adventurers and and this and that, I think. Um, yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think you're probably on the on the right level there. What do you What do you think, Bill? Uh, yeah, I've definitely changed a lot as a person myself. Yeah. But over the last ten years, you know, but it's mm. probably the things that I was doing, not the person, not the person that I yeah, am. So I, I tend to agree. Sure, yeah. I mean, you 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 dictated who you are seen seen to be, and your is what you do. Outlet, but it's also where you are, your surroundings, and your settings. But I think the person that you are, like you're, what you really think about things and what you really think about yeah. the world, what you really think about other people, probably doesn't change too much. It's all those other mm. influences that um, that clog up your life and yeah. pull you in different directions. But yeah, I think I think it's probably right. It's interesting. It's I've never done a personality test. I'd like to see. I'm always thinking about what type of a person I am. You know, talk yep. about being a an introverted extrovert. No, I'm just always trying to learn more about the mind. So mm. it's very fascinating to me. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, I think uh, I think most people are once you get to that adult, you know, young adult age, you probably you're probably deep down the person that you're always yeah. going to be, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, um, you, should, you should take a color code test and a Braverman test. Yeah, yeah there was cool. one that my mate, um, one of my mates uh, uh, down at my weightlifting club put me on to. I don't know if it was the Braverman test. He sent it to me a couple of months ago, and I just haven't got around to doing it we had a really like interesting uh, conversation about what he found out about himself and how it like made perfect sense and then he sent it through to me but but I haven't been able to do it yeah because you can do a test and you go it's like it's like going to a um, a uh, you know hypnotherapist or or a clairvoyant or something going 
you are going to die at some point. Oh my God, this person knows everything about me. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. come on. What? Yeah. I, I feel like I don't placebo, know if it's the same as that, but <laughs> it's like, what? So, what can you shed some light on the color code test, Nick? Um, yeah, so basically, that's more of a personality test, and I yeah. think that that can change. Um, and so it's basically, you know, the, the I mean, uh, all the cliched personalities like type A personality, right? Like the follower, the leader, the person who likes organization versus mm. uh, the person who's more um, free flowing and uh, adapt to situations. Mm. Um, the person who communicates in certain ways. And, and I think the color code test just kind of talks about, um, uh, I forget how many questions I haven't, I haven't looked at the color, like a color code test in a while, but, um, but it's good. You can, you know, you can download color code test, the uh, Braverman test online and take it and it'll tell you your answers and, you know, and then they're usually like, Oh, you're a yellow personality or you're a blue personality or a red personality. And mm. it's, I've used, um, I've used that a little bit in, um, my business, not as much as I probably should, but trying to figure out, okay, I have this position and what type of personality do I need? And there's mm. some theories in there saying that whatever you are, you should never hire the same color, right? Right. Like, if you're a red, like you don't want to hire any reds in your business. Um, and so that's pretty interesting. Um, that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's more of, I think that that can change through influences on how we behave, how we communicate, how we operate. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, cool. So, um, all right. So, you're talking about, um, so you, you coach a broad spectrum of athletes um, and you touched on the fact you had a Masters um, Games, CrossFit Games champion. So, how does it um, how does it work programming for a masters athlete, but a masters athlete at a high level? Like, obviously, with younger CrossFit athletes in the physical primes of their life, they train a lot. They train very hard. The body's able to recover day to day pretty quickly in a lot of cases. When you're dealing with somebody who's fifty five, uh, fifty five years old, like you mentioned, how does it um? How does it go looking after that person in way of like recovery and and um, and just the general training volume? Is it a lot more play it by ear and and day to day you have to check in or talk about how that's been for you? Yeah, I've like most things I've probably learned um, a lot of it just through uh, you know designing a plan, seeing the plan through, and then realizing oh man I messed that up or Oh, that really worked well. Like, why did that work well? And so what I've learned over the, I don't know, however many years is that, um, everybody is, is different and it's relative to the resources we have available. And what I mean by that is, uh, you can just kind of mentally make a list. So if you're young, right. So you, you have the resource of time, assuming that you're not married, you don't have kids, right. But you don't have a full-time job, uh, a lot of assumptions, right? So these resources um, are there. Your hormones, right, are like just jamming. So that's a huge resource, right? Maybe uh, money is scarce, so that's a lack of a resource. So you can just kind of add up the resources you have. 
you know, if you fast forward 30 years, like you have kids, you have family, hormones are not like 20 year old hormones, right? For sure. Um, but maybe you have more money. So I think it all comes down to resources and the ability to recover. I will say that the one, mm. the one thing that is very clear to me is that you can put a young athlete, and I say young, mean biological, but also training age. Training age is a huge uh, factor to um, how you train somebody. But mm-hmm. if you take a young athlete, you can overtrain them or overreach them, and it's less of a big deal because you just back off, they recover, they bounce back, and throw them back into the gauntlet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, with an older athlete, if you overtrain an older athlete or even sometimes overreach, it takes a lot longer to get out of that hole. Um, and it's very, very obvious. And so I tend to be a little more conservative the older the athlete. And that's training age. You know, if you have somebody who's been training in a sport for 20 years and they're 30 years old uh, versus someone who's, you know, never played a sport in their life and they've been training a year, that's, that's very different in the types of stress they can take. And so I look at it as like, um, and there's plenty of analogies out there, but the kind of account, recovery account, bank account, however you want to call it. And so mm-hmm. if, you're, um, if you're a young investor, right, you don't have a lot of money, so you can put, you know, 50 cents in, and it's really easy to take all your money out, Right. But it's really easy to pay back that debt. Now, if you fast forward and you're 55 years old and you've built up thousands of hours of training and all this stuff and you've, you know, now you have hundreds of thousands of cents, right? It's going to take a lot longer to, um, as you withdraw that stuff to notice anything. But if you notice something, it's going to take a lot longer to actually repay and to basically repay that debt. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I um, I never actually thought about training age or had it mentioned to me until just recently. I started weightlifting and taking it seriously at 28 and uh, I spoke to my coach about uh, the next couple of years and like talking about the future and stuff like that and, and I said, uh, he talked about me moving up two weight classes and I told him I'm no spring chicken and he said, but you are a spring chicken. He goes, you've only been doing it for a year. He goes, you got, you got six or seven years left in the sport if you want to, because basically I'd never come from a strength training background mm. and I'd never, um, I'd never thought about it like that. So I, um, yeah, and I think it, you definitely have to take that into account. But um, yeah, that's interesting. So do you, ha- do you focus, um, do you have any more high-level athletes that you focus your, uh, your time on inside of your gym, Nick, or, or you've got a couple of elite athletes? How does it work? Um, gosh, I have like the full gamut. I, I, I um, you know... I, I, like we coach, uh, I coach everything from, yeah, CrossFit Games champions to, um, you know, people who are on the bubble in terms of regionals, open, um, have some professional climbers, um, you know, World Cup skiers. Awesome. That's yeah. Cool. So, um, and that that's the thing. So if, I think some folks, they look at massive athletics and, and they're like, oh, well, what do they do? And the the beauty about my approach and what I love to do. I love coaching CrossFit. I think coaching a CrossFit athlete is, is the most rewarding, uh, thing or one of them that, that I, that I've experienced from a, 
I'm like the geek inside me, right? Like looking at exercise physiology and all this stuff. Um, Just because there's so many concurrent signaling happening and there's so much much that needs to happen for this person to be successful in the sport, the demands. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm a big proponent to, to look at how like my methodology, for lack of a better term, is I focus on the process. And so, um, I look at the pieces involved. So someone, someone comes in and they, you know, put them through an assessment, put them through some testing and I'm looking at the pieces and how that relates to what they want to accomplish in life. And so the process allows really us to, to coach a variety of different people. And so whether you're a a world-class skier or a CrossFit games athlete, um, understanding the characteristics that you need to be successful and then understanding how do you train that very specific characteristic, stress it, have it get better. Um, that's really the key to coaching, right? Understand mm. you need to understand the sport. Yeah, uh, that's right. The demands. But, um, but yeah, I think that, uh, you know, that's, yeah, that's kind of how I, I think the process is, is very, very important. People get caught up on, um, I don't know, like CrossFit athletes, right? It's like, oh, well, this isn't, it's, um, this idea of what CrossFit should be and, you know, 21, 15, nine, all this different stuff. And like, if they're not doing that, that then they're not going to get better at their sport, I think is a, is a big, um, I don't know. I mean, a big bias in the sport and it's, uh, mm, it's big cool. fallacy. Yeah. Yeah. Just a big fellas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, all right. So, um, what about mindset? Do you have any mindset um, stuff that you go over with your athletes? Are you trying to get these guys um, anything in way of meditation or, or journaling, or is there anything that you use um, with your athletes, either in general walks of life or in um, like in competition settings? Yeah. Do you have anything that you go to there? I do. Um, I think journaling is great, like writing stuff down. So I think that understanding your purpose and moving and living with purpose is one of the key components. Mm. I think perspective, um, doing things to broaden your perspective, uh, writing is one of them. It's huge, right? Um, is important. And then practice and not just getting in and practicing, but having this, this attitude of the art of practice I think those three things are at the heart of developing someone's mindset. And so if you think about the tools that we can use to kind of highlight each one of those, it, it can be broad. It can be breathing. It can be, um, you know, journaling. I think a big, um, a, the quickest way to make big gains in mindset is to go do something that involves a visceral fear, a fear mm-hmm. of drowning, a fear of falling, and that will impact all three of those the quickest and the most powerful. So, um, for instance, like if you've never been climbing, go climb. Cause you, it's yep. the, what you'll find is what will limit you might not be the physicality of being able to move up the rock. It's like, you know, your mind is, is pretty powerful or swimming. Right. Um, so I think yeah. that, that those are key. The, the one thing that, um, I've been trying to develop and, and I'm very careful with, with, uh, adjusting someone's mindset. 
Um, and the reason for that is if you're a competitor and you're a champion, then, and let's say, so out there, right? If you look at world champions, uh, sometimes they're very, very critical of themselves. I think that's, that's one, they're harsher on themselves than probably anybody else. And I think that's probably a pretty consistent characteristic. And if you think about it in, in normal terms of a human being, you're like, man, that's, that's not really that healthy, right? Like always yeah. beating yourself up and feeling like you're not good enough and so forth and so on. And so I have to be, and I think as coaches, we all need to be very, very careful of the changes we make. Because if you take that away from somebody, are they capable of being a champion anymore? And I don't yeah. know that, and that's a very, very like broad answer. But so I'm very careful of like, um, you know, it might not be the healthiest thing, or I might not think it's the healthiest thing, which is just really one opinion. Mm-hmm. But if I don't believe that it's healthy and I'm going to change that, like I have to realize that there's going to be consequences and ramifications. Mm. It could get them better, but it also could shut off all the internal motivation and kill their opportunity to get, uh, you know, back on the podium, for instance. Oh, yeah. And what I find really interesting about that is it's, um, I mean, yeah, you have to look at someone like Matt Fraser, who's obviously a, a freak athlete, but his obsession with, with training over the last couple of years has just been insane, especially in, um, in, in winning it um, for, for this year. Like the, the last year that he did all the bulk of training from what we saw from following him on, on social media and, and watching him on, on YouTube and stuff was just insane. But um, I find it interesting, that concept of, you know, obsessing to, to make yourself better. And are they actually happy? I mean, a, a really good friend of mine read uh, Andre Agassi's book, um, who's obviously the, the, uh, one of the all-time greats in tennis. And apparently the, uh, the overwhelming sort of idea that he got from that book was that Andre Agassi was, was never, never happy. And he never, hated tennis. He, hated, he, literally, <laughs> he literally hated tennis throughout his time. Yeah. It was just like yeah. that was the only thing that he was good at. And it's kind of like as a coach, obviously our goal is to make someone better at, at CrossFit or make someone better at the sport. But um, if they're, that internal motiva- motivation is overwhelmingly negative, do we sort of take a step back and try to sort of influence their mindset where they probably won't get as good at CrossFit or at the sport that we're coaching them, but they'll actually be happier in life. Do you ever sort of, do you ever think about that? Of course. I think, um, yeah. And that's a, that's exactly it. Right. So if you made, um, Agassi happy, Mm. like would he be good anymore? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and what's, what is our, what are we responsible as coaches? Are we responsible to make someone happy or are we responsible to make someone good? And that, mm. boy, that's, you go down some deep, dark rabbit holes with that yeah. question. But, well, um, I mean, well, you got to ask even, the athlete really, don't you? Oh, you, you say do. you want to win, win the games because there's going to be sacrifices or mm. do you want to be, you know, strong, fit and healthy and you probably won't make it to the podium? Well, or can, mentally yeah. healthy, I should <laughs> say. Yeah. Mentally healthy. Yeah, and you can even yeah. go further down the rabbit hole and say something like, you know, you, you know why are we living as a physical entity? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> slightly off topic. <laughs> I, um, but I think it, it ties directly in, and so um, you know, people's why and like, gosh, in the past year or two, like everyone's talking about, oh, find your why, and this is the why, mm. and and as much as I kind of am tired of hearing the why, but just because it's, I think, a lot more complex than that. Mm. Um, but I think really understanding your motivations is important. Mm. Um, 
But I think there's a time to kind of turn some things off while you're in training. Mm. Um, and like January isn't the time to start thinking about like, Oh, well, why do I want to do CrossFit? And why, <laughs> yeah. you, know, like, you know, like yep. you, that, that comes in, in, uh, you know, end of That's July, right, right. August, like, okay, am I going to do this for the next year? Kind of, kind of thing. And so, um, yeah. And I always say, I mean, I say this jokingly to, to all my athletes is like, I don't really care about how, how you feel. Mm. Um, uh, and, and anybody who knows me and coaches me, they'll, they'll understand that. I, I'm, I'm like, I have great, uh, caring for all my athletes, but if, um, you know, if you come to me and you're like, Hey, I'm bored or what, I'm like, I don't care. Like you put in the work, <laughs> like you have a goal. Like I don't care how you feel. Feelings are objective. Mm. Um, and, and they really don't matter, um, with regards to, um, you know, if you feel like you had a good session or you feel like you had a bad session, does it, is how you feel going to influence uh, what you get out of the session, right? Mm. Like you're still going to get better. Like you're still implementing a long-term plan. Um, and so I have, um, you know, less worry about if someone's, um, you know, satisfied with a session or not. As long so, as they're getting, the, as long as they're getting the work done. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and it's kind of like, it's become this kind of inside joke about like, yeah, I don't, you know, feelings don't matter. Um, because as an athlete, like if you're trying to get to the podium, like, uh, whether you're bored, happy, um, you know, feeling satisfied or nervous or whatever, like, um, it, it's a real, like you just have to get there. Yeah. It's irrelevant, right? Yeah. It's irrelevant. Yeah. 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 Mm. All right, guys. Here we go. Ten seconds. What? What, what is? What is the meaning of life? That was um. All right. So, so Nick. Um. Lastly, before we go to six from six, let's um just ask like, what's next for you and and um and massive and uh, what do you have in your horizon in your sights? Oh gosh. Um. Yeah. So there's so many projects that, that are going on right now. Um, the one thing I'm trying to do, um, is so kind of solidify the camps that we have going on. Mm. Um, and so we'll, we'll probably have, we'll be traveling around, uh, kind of hosting camps. So those are those of those folks who are interested, um, can, you know, we can kind of set up for a two day camp at their, their place. So we have couple on the East coast, um, one like, you know, central U S type of thing. And, and so really getting that, that kind of solidified. Um, and then I think, uh, you know, personally what, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to put together, um, and this is a long, long project, but put together some educational material and set up, a, you know, to, to enable coaches to learn, what I've learned in the ways that I've learned it. Cause I don't think there's anything out there, um, with kind of how I want to organize it. Okay, cool. And, um, yeah. And then there's other things like, you know, we're trying to get a sports medicine, uh, program done or organized and really, um, built in my gym, uh, to facilitate more of a holistic approach. I mean, we've had it for years, but it needs to get going and just some other things. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, cool. Alrighty. Well, um, well, to finish off, we've got uh, six from six, Nick, which is three questions from me, three questions from Tommy. 
Love it. So uh, my first question is, and I normally start, normally uh, I ask, are you a well-traveled man before I ask this question, but I'm not going to ask that because I know you are. So <laughs> the question is, uh, what's your favorite destination on the planet, place that you've been, uh, place that you've traveled to? can be big, small, can be country, can be little town. Uh, what's your favorite destination? Uh, I think right now it's Uskandellen in Norway. Um, Uskandellen. Yeah. Uskandellen. What did you just call me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I went there. So we went to world weightlifting world master worlds, uh, last year in Finland. And then we hopped over to Norway and we went, um, climbing in Uskandellen. It's this little fishing village, like just this beautiful area in Norway. That's kind of not really visited all that much. And, um, yeah, I want to go back for probably a couple weeks and just, uh, yeah, just kind of be there and climb. There's so mm. much unclimbed stuff over there. So Cool. That's definitely one we haven't had before. So no. um, second one is, uh, second question is your dream destination. So it's in the same vein. can be anywhere on the planet, big, small um, country, continent. Muskindellen. Muskindellen. Yeah, Muskindellen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, feel like I, I feel like I've been to – to a lot of my dream destinations and so maybe maybe what i need to do is i need to kind of find it maybe that's my australia that's, <laughs> australia yeah i've heard australia <laughs> it sucks <laughs> um critters I, I hear so much about your guys' critters it's great yeah we got it all around here anything yeah. that you think uh, might be able to kill you well it can over here yep <laughs> yeah um and it will. Yeah. So, uh, all right. My um, last question is normally about um, books and resources that you've uh, read, but we've kind of touched on that. So, I'm going to throw back to a question that I used to use. Oh, good one. Which is, uh, if you're what stranded, are you wearing right now? <laughs> if, you're, if you're stranded on a on a desert island and you've got three things to keep you sane, what would they be? Oh man, that is. It's a tough one. Three three things to keep me sane. Keep you entertained. Um, yeah, I think one of them would be my wife. Cool. Um, You're going to have to say that, don't you? <laughs> I have to. Yeah, she'll listen to this. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, gosh, I don't know. Um, three things to keep me sane. Um, Depends how entertaining your wife is. You can yeah, just have your wife right. if you want. Is she from Oskindella? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think it would be like very practical items, you know, like a, I don't know, like a knife and like a lighter or something. I'm very, you know, and then I'd, I'd probably love it. Like if I was stranded on an island, like that would be my thing. I would love mm. it. Very man versus wild style. Yeah. That's completely. good. I like it. Tommy. Cool. All right. Uh, what are you wearing? <laughs> what am I wearing? <laughs> no. Uh, as long as you're wearing pants, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so first question, mate, is um, what do you like to do in your spare time or when you have downtime, apart from climbing, which yeah, I'm these. Stop there. <laughs> you um, said, well, said one word there and everyone was waiting for you know, to say the next one. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. <laughs> what do I like to do? I don't know. I mean, right now I don't have much spare time, so it's, mm. it's um, I'd say surf. Ooh, nice. I'm really, I'm really, I miss surfing. I don't do it all that often, um, but yeah, I kind of grew up surfing, and and that's probably the one thing that I would cool. love to do in my off off time. But I do climb. That's kind of how what I do. So. Mm, mm. Where would you surf when you were growing up? 
Uh, just like North, like uh, you know, West Palm, uh, Sebastian, uh, gotcha. in Florida. Gotcha. Yeah, so we awesome. can drive up north and surf there. Cool. cool. All right. Uh, second question: uh, Did you have a, a role model growing up, or or a big inspiration? Somebody you looked up to. Yeah, I think. Um, no, I didn't. I wanted so growing up, I wanted to be an astronaut, and I wanted mm. to go into like the um, Air Force Academy's like aerospace program. And so I, I definitely remember like all the shuttle launches and things like that. So I think there wasn't any one person. Um, there was a teacher. So I had a teacher um, in in school in high school uh, who was a photography teacher, and I remember. Um, I was a troubled youth. I have like six yearbooks from like four years of high school. Long story. But, <laughs> um, but um, you know, he, he used to always pull me aside and kind of tell me how it was. And um, he was one of the few people in my life at that point, like that didn't sugarcoat anything or, you know, kind of talk to me as an adult and like how things were. And mm. I, I remember that vividly. And, um, and that probably influenced me in, in a lot of, in a lot of ways. So. Cool. Okay, cool. cool. And, uh, finally, mate, if you could invite three people to dinner, dead or alive, who would they be and why? And obviously your family can, can come unless you don't want them to come and <laughs> which they won't be there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I thought about this one. And I think, um, I, I really, I really enjoy my kids and my, my wife. Like mm. I would, those are my three people, my, my two daughters and my wife. Like that's if, if I want to have dinner with somebody. Is your uh, wife sitting, is she in the room? Yeah, or? I got to feel yeah, like she's giving me the there. evil look. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> holding up cue cards. <laughs> Hello, my name is Nick. <laughs> what about, all right, give us, give us one person. So your family, your family can, can already be there. four people in the room now. Yeah, four people in the room. Yep, so your family oh, can be there people. and then one person, one person can come. Um... Man, I don't. Yeah, I really. Um, I'm kind of a recluse, maybe in that way. Mm. Um, yeah, who would who would I like? Um, dead or alive? Um, Do you have any climbing heroes? Yeah, I, I saw. Just um, ask, I saw yeah. the uh, the the movie Miru with. Um, have you seen Miru the documentary with um, yeah. Ren and Ozturk and yeah. Meru? Um, yeah. Do you have any climbing heroes that? Um, trying to help you out here Nick. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean that's the thing is like i've, I've kind of met um most of my heroes and i've like oh, cool. talked to them and and things like that um that's really cool it's like- yeah so i don't um i don't know i mean maybe it's just like i i'm really satisfied in my life and, and mm. i i yeah, I'm trying. Oh, I'm trying to think. That's perfect. I'm trying man, to help really, you out here, guys. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's right. No, that's good. We'll edit this stuff out anyway. In the yeah. end, so. <laughs> <laughs> what about the guy you spurned on the on the on the mountain? Yeah, I'd have him over. That's his wife. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I'm pretty sure he's. I'm pretty sure he's from Moose Dillon. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Right. No, I, no. You know who? I would be my grandfather. So he passed away. Um, and he was a huge influence in my life and I'd, I'd probably have him over. He was an amazing man. Like, you know, he, when he moved to, um, Argentina, like, I don't know however many his father came, whatever, but he used to, he used to work, he used to work cleaning floors to get, uh, like, 
I don't know, a token or something to give to the guy to go across the, the river to go work in this factory. And he started as like, um, you know, cleaning up and he basically worked himself to, into, um, part owner and like CEO of this big giant, um, you know, company that built, um, kind of railroad and bridges and well. things like that. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I kind of regret never picking his brain more about his life mm, and, mm. and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think that that's, yeah, that's who I'd have over. No, cool. That'd be a good yeah, family get-together. Yeah. Cool. All, All right. right. Well, uh, awesome, Nick. Is there uh, anything you want to plug? Um, where can people find you on social media, things like that? Yeah, you, everyone can find me on Instagram at the Nick Fowler. Um, you can hit me up there, message me there. Um, Massive Athletics here in Salt Lake. Um, I'm also strength and conditioning, uh, kind of uh, head of strength and conditioning for brute strength. And yeah, those are kind of that's kind of my world. So if if um, if you're interested in in more of what I have to say, I'd, I'd love to share anything I know. Uh, you got questions, you know, hit send it on over, and I'll um, yeah be happy to chat with whoever. Cool, awesome, man. Great show. All right. Thanks for coming on the show, Nick. And uh, that's a wrap. Awesome. Well, appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. Cool. Thanks, brother. All righty, guys. Hope you enjoyed that uh, that show there. I actually, yeah, I really enjoyed it. What do you think, man? Yeah, it was good. Mm. I just think he's a madman. Yeah, yeah so do I. I yeah. think he's a madman. But he's really smart and uh, knows what he's talking about. So and he's got an extensive beard, apparently. Yeah. A really cool beard. Yeah, the rustling I'll, of the beard at the start of the show will be... Um, Are we leaving that in? Quite frustrating for the listeners. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, They'll love it. Yeah, that was good. All righty, guys. Let's, uh, let's have a quick... So, if you like us, number one, if you think we're pretty cool, um, even if you hate us, <laughs> just jump onto uh, iTunes and give us uh, a rate and review. But if you do hate us, obviously, just try to make it a little bit more positive. Um <laughs> That really helps us, guys, just uh, grow in the show. And from there, we can get more uh, more guests um, for you, um, some cooler guests and stuff. Not that we haven't had <laughs> cooler, cooler guests, guests already. <laughs> I'm making a mockery Shout of this. Shout out to all of our past guests. <laughs> yeah, that we uh, aren't cool. <laughs> um, jump on to www.adventurefittravel.com, guys. And while you're there, click the podcast tab, and that will take you to all of the show notes for the show. Um, keep up to date with anything Adventure Fit, uh, specifically anything Adventure Fit Radio that Bill and I are doing. Um, and while you're there, guys, join the mailing list. So that's the best bang for your buck to, uh, to keep up to date with all that stuff. So, guys, we are once again brought to you by True Pride. Let's get, uh, let's get on board True Pride. Head to www.truepride.com.au forward slash ADVF to get your, your budget back in order. Save... Uh, Save uh, $4 million guaranteed uh, per week and, uh, and get the joining fee of $297 waived when you call via their website. Jump onto Carve, guys. Carve, www.carve.ph forward slash ADVF. Get 10 hours free on any project when you head there using the, uh, the ADVF um, link there. And then finally, guys, Adventure Fit Travel. Got some cool stuff coming up. Head to www.adventurefittravel.com for all the info. Check out all the trips, all the blogs, and uh, all the special stuff. Until next time, bye-bye. See you later.